the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Welcome to The Advocate, another edition here. And tonight, we're going to be talking about food, something we can't live with, can't live without. And uh, it's really good stuff, and you, you have to have it. But uh, with what's been going on in the world, what's been going on with the economy, what's been going on with the supply chain issues, um, I think we have to worry about where we're getting our food from and will we have enough as we, we go along. Uh, with me in the studio tonight is Kathy Lux. And Kathy, good you evening. Have, good evening. You have someone with us tonight? I do. Tell me about I, it. Well, I, we are so pleased. I am so pleased uh, to have Ty Higgins, who is the Senior Director of Communications for our Ohio Farm Bureau, and uh, I think we have uh, an opportunity to learn a lot from Ty this evening. Well, I think we got the right guy because agriculture is a big business here in Ohio, and it's really important to us when we go to the store looking for things like baby formula <laughs> <laughs> right now and, and anything else we're looking for. Uh, yes. So anyway, Ty, thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, Nick and Kathy, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, you know, talking about agriculture is what I do for a living, and I am proud to represent Ohio's farmers and uh, and this great industry. We're here in the Cleveland area, northeast Ohio, Cuyahoga County, and surrounding counties. Uh, and, and sometimes we don't really appreciate or understand how much business in Ohio here is done with agriculture. How How does agriculture rank as far as an industry here in the state of Ohio? Number one, uh, we're Ohio's top industry. Uh, agriculture alone brings in just over $10 billion a year to Ohio's bottom line. So uh, it is big business. Uh, and I know that uh, many of you uh, in that part of the state uh, maybe don't see it the way I do uh, when you get out to the rural parts. Uh, but I, I do recommend making that drive. And especially this time of year, farmers are busy putting this year's crop into the ground. Uh, there's a lot of dust flying, a lot of progress being made, and we need that progress to continue, as we'll talk about later. Uh, you know, many of us just go to the grocery store and expect our food to be there. Um, but mm -hmm. there are so many things that have to happen that I see day to day that go into making our food and making it readily available. We, we have the safest, most abundant, and affordable food supply in the world, and we should not take that lightly. And, and farmers work every single day to make that happen. Ty, I was wondering if what do we have a, a particular crop that is, you know, the, our our biggest producer in Ohio? Well, we grow uh, we grow a lot of corn and soybeans. Those are our big two. Um, each year, as a matter of fact, in twenty twenty one, we we had uh, close to record production for soybeans and corn. We produced five million uh, acres of soybeans, uh, bringing in about 275 million bushels of beans and 3.5 million acres of corn, resulting in 644 million bushels of that crop. So just those two crops uh, in 2021 brought in $7.1 billion in cash receipts for the state. So those are our big two. But in Ohio, we're blessed to have all types of climate, all types of soil, all types of crops. And we grow things uh, like 
tomatoes and potatoes. We grow pumpkins and apples and cherries and everything else you can use to make a pie. Uh, there in northeast Ohio, uh, I know a couple of garlic farmers. Uh, of course, we have uh, those wonderful grapes uh, in that region of the state. And floriculture is a big deal in northeast Ohio, too. So there's a wide variety of, of crops that uh, we grow here in Ohio. Uh, probably one of the more diverse states in the country as far as all the different types of products we can grow right here in the Buckeye State. Uh, Ty, what, what does the Farm Bureau do? We've, I've heard about the Farm Bureau for many decades. <laughs> but, uh, share with our listeners, what, uh, are you a lobbying group or are you a service group or what exactly yeah, does the Farm Bureau do? All the above. Uh, we are the state's largest, largest farm organization. We have uh, close to 80,000 farm families that we represent uh, across Ohio. And, and the way I like to put it, this is kind of my elevator speech, is that, uh, you know, we are always on the lookout for the best interest of our members. And, and all of our policy comes for our members. We're a grassroots organization. So they're at the county level. They talk about things that are affecting them. Uh, things that Ohio Farm Bureau might be able to help them uh, see through as far as challenges go. Uh, that moves up to the state level, and we work on them in Columbus. And then, of course, if it uh, needs national attention, we move it up to the American Farm Bureau. But the way I like to put it is that we uh, keep track of uh, regulators, legislators, and litigators. And we keep uh, our eye on everything they do because there are so many things that could impact agriculture negatively and we need to be on watch for our members who are always so busy growing the food that we enjoy Farm Bureau is there on their behalf to make sure that they can continue their way of life continue their lifestyle continue their tradition and heritage of agriculture uh, you know many of these families represent our uh, two three up to five generations uh, there on the same farm and, and so that's something that uh, we want to see continue for many, many generations to come. And, and that's uh, something Ohio Farm Bureau does day in and day out, works behind the scenes to make sure our farmers can continue to do what they do so well. Oh, you mentioned a magic term, litigation. I'm a lawyer, and when I hear litigation, my ears perk up. Who would sue farmers? Are there lawsuits filed against farmers? Is that a big problem here? Well, we, we did have a big problem back in 2019, something called the Lake Erie Bill of Rights. And the city of Toledo was trying to pass an ordinance uh, to give any uh, member of that city, any citizen, the right to sue a farmer for doing what they do with agriculture because uh, they felt that what farmers were doing, uh, in essence, was, uh, you know, causing harm to the lake. They wanted Lake Erie to have uh, what a person would have as far as rights to be able to sue farmers. Uh, that's a big issue um, because, for one, uh, farmers aren't doing anything uh, that's against the law when they grow their food. Uh, and uh, a lake should not have rights like a human should have rights. And so that was something we fought really hard with. Uh, we had a farmer member, uh, Mark Dravis, who stepped up to the plate as soon as the ballot initiative passed in, in Toledo. And, and so that was something, uh, when you talk about litigation, that's the first thing that comes to mind to hear over the last three years. But we have cases currently at the Supreme Court over the um, waters of the U.S. rule the Biden administration is trying to put into place. Uh, we also uh, have uh, things happening in Columbus at the Supreme Court uh, here in Ohio. So uh, litigation is a big part of what we do. We have uh, a couple of lawyers on staff that keep track of things, uh, right, uh, uh, amicus briefs and uh, get involved when we feel it's necessary to get involved and make sure that our members and their voices are heard uh, when it comes to these issues uh, that sometimes agriculture either gets overlooked or gets thrown into the fire on. And that's why Farm Bureau 
finds it so important to be able to uh, be a part of those cases and, and make sure that our members' best interests are considered. Uh, beside working with the state of Ohio and the Ohio legislature and the Ohio government, uh, the federal government gets involved with uh, farming and agriculture quite a bit. Well, what is the current status of federal involvement with uh, with not only Ohio farmers but farmers across the country? Well, as you might imagine, um, with any change of the administration, the tide turns a little bit. Uh, we have um, worked with the EPA extensively over the last year and a half. Uh, they've tried to make some changes to uh, how much ethanol, for instance, is blended into our gasoline supply with their renewable fuel standard. Uh, they've tried to take uh, products away from farmers that help us with weed control and, and crop production. Uh, that farmers need in order to make a successful crop in order to feed a growing world. Um, and I mentioned that waters of the U.S. rule, uh, something that uh, has become, uh, unfortunately, more complex through this EPA as they try to make things um, uh, just a little bit more difficult and really put farmers in a place where they need to hire lawyers of their own just to make sure they're adhering to these new rules when something like Waters of the U.S. should be as simple as a stream or a creek or a river or a lake. Uh, and what the EPA would like is that when it rains an extensive amount and it puddles in a field, they want that to be the, jur- the jurisdiction of the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers. And we think that's an overreach as far as the waters of the U.S. is concerned, and something that, like I mentioned, we're fighting all the way at the U.S. Supreme Court level right now. And so, Ty, I, you know, I'm wondering um, in terms of regulations and that sort of thing, um, it, it, we've you know we hear things through social media and various avenues um and the news you, you get bits and pieces and sometimes it's difficult to know what's what um there there's been some information going around about farmers being told to destroy crops in recent years um under penalty if they don't comply by the federal government i'm wondering if you could speak to that is that true what what is that about yeah. I guess, Kathy, what I'll tell you is that some people think if it's on the Internet, it must be true. Uh, but sure. that is something that's something that was put out there. It's been two years now that uh, that uh, claim was put on the Internet. And unfortunately, uh, what happened in order to, to blow this up into even bigger proportions, it shouldn't have got any attention to begin with. But the reason it did is there was a farmer just having some fun in Illinois. Well, well Ty, let's, let's hold on. His, Ty, let's hold on to that thought for a moment. We're going to take a short yeah, break. Sure. We're, we're talking uh, to Ty Higgin from the Ohio Farm Bureau, talking about agriculture here in Ohio and all the problems that are out there that we're not really aware of yet. Ty is going to tell us. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips and Kathy Lux here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Ty Higgin today. He's the Senior Director of Communications for the Ohio Farm Bureau. Uh, And uh, Mr. Higgins, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Well, well, very good. We need to know more about agriculture because sooner or later it affects our our home life. (laughs) It affects our meals and our planning and our shopping and, uh, and everything else. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the federal government and um, you know whether or not farmers are being directed to not produce foods. 
And I, I think that's sort of been uh, a method of subsidizing farmers for, for decades, I would imagine, uh, where if the market prices are dropping, the government gets involved to help uh, prop up the market. Uh, is that still going on? Well, I, I think what you're talking about is more in the realm of, of the farm bill, and I'd be more than happy to talk about that. But Kathy asked about destroying crops uh, under federal uh, uh, law or, or you know federal demands. But yeah, let's go. Let's, well, let's go to that because that's more dramatic sounding. Uh, well, it, 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 it doesn't it, uh, sound it doesn't sound right. dramatic, but. But it, it, and it doesn't sound right because it doesn't make sense. And so someone put that out on the Internet, and then a farmer in Illinois decided he would have some fun with it, unfortunately, and he took his zero-turn mower out, and he mowed over, oh, just a quarter acre of his crops just to uh, make a splash on social media. And unfortunately, that video, as you might imagine, took off. But uh, nothing of the sort has taken place in agriculture. Um, you know, it we need every bit of agriculture that, that we can use, especially now. And, and this was during COVID where we saw supply chain and, and food challenges back then. Um, but, you know, there are conservation programs where a small amount of uh, farmland is put into conservation for a longer period of time to give that land a chance to rest. And farmers get paid to be part of that program. That, that's something farmers volunteer, by the way. They, they enroll in those programs and volunteer that land for those programs. They're on they're not made to do anything. Um, and so that was just something that caught fire online and uh, unfortunately made a couple of headlines. But it's not even close to what really happens in agriculture. You know, farmers, um, they're instinctively, uh, you know, made to grow crops. If they were asked to destroy their crops, I, I don't think they would do it. Uh, that's not what they do. That's not why they wake up in the morning and not why they work 20-hour days. And it's something that simply hasn't happened. Now, the Farm Bill, on the other hand, uh, which we're working on now, the new Farm Bill that should be passed in, in 2023, that is to help farmers if they do have bad years of crop production or, or crop uh, prices go down. Because if you think about agriculture, if we had a bad year, uh, we work on such a thin margin as it is now that some farms, if they didn't have the farm bill and, and that safety net program, they wouldn't be able to farm the next year. Uh, input costs and, and other uh, equipment costs, everything that goes into growing a crop, they just wouldn't be able to make it work and they would have to bow out of the industry. And if that happens, we have fewer farms, uh, we have fewer food, and of course we see that what happens when we have fewer food, the price of everything goes up, and we worry about where uh, some of our food might be coming from. So uh, that's why the Farm Bill is so important and something that uh, congressmen uh, and women in Washington are working on right now, and hopefully we'll have it in place by the end of next year. And Ty, I'm also wondering, you know, there's been a great deal of of, uh, discussion about the supply chain, um, transit issues, food processing plants, and I'm wondering um, if you could give us an overview or some insight as to how that whole process works with our farms here in, in Ohio. Well, sure. Uh, in Ohio in particular, as I mentioned how uh, diverse we are with our products, we're also very diverse in where a lot of these products go. Um, for the most part, corn, soybeans, and wheat go to the local elevator there in small town Ohio, and they get railed uh, east or west. Um, sometimes, uh, if the farmer is close enough to the lake or close enough to the Ohio River, they'll be put on barges and, and sent on their way to uh, our partners uh, across the country or even across the world. We, uh, our biggest trading partners, are, are pretty close by to us. Our, our biggest two partners are Mexico and China, 
uh, I'm sorry, Mexico and Canada. Uh, China is also in the top 10, uh, along with Japan. So the products we grow here in Ohio do go across the world. And, and uh, uh, you know, we, we saw major issues during COVID with our supply chain. Uh, for one, uh, there was a time there where we couldn't find maybe the protein we were looking for, or if we wanted a certain cut, uh, it simply wasn't available because uh, many of these meat processing facilities uh, had a COVID outbreak and had to shut down for a long period of time. Um, it, sure, it put us in, in quite a situation there for a couple of days, but our food supply system is resilient uh, and, and strong. And even though we went through those challenges, and those challenges continue now uh, when it comes to uh, a lack of trucking, uh, when it comes to Sometimes um, the rail cars just aren't available to move that product, uh, you know, from from the elevators. We saw that issue back in the fall. Uh, sometimes the barges just sat there in the Pacific Ocean for weeks or months at a time. But we made it through those because uh, our food supply system is strong, and and that is the same today. Uh, we have a resilient, strong food supply, and and sometimes. You might not find the food you're looking for at the grocery store. I think we've all become accustomed to looking uh, on the shelf where something might be. And if it's not there, we just say, uh, you know, this is, has to do with, with the food supply system and, and uh, some, some parts of the chain being broken for a short term, and we find something else to buy in its place. I think that's just become, uh, become kind of second nature to us as a society. Um, and that might last for another year or two, but we're not going to have a food shortage uh, we're not going to have a food outage by any stretch of the imagination. There's always going to be food uh, because farmers continue to farm through all of these challenges. Uh, you know, we're seeing challenges now with the cost of farming, and we can talk about that a little bit in a little bit uh, later on too. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, farmers are, are dealing with a lot of uh, a lot of challenges, but they continue to farm. They continue to grow the products. Uh, we continue to have those products readily available at the grocery store. So I, I as we see. Uh, food issues on the other side of the world. Uh, I can't stress enough uh, how American farmers uh, are pulling their weight to make sure that Americans are fed, but at the same time having more than enough food to uh, make it to other parts of the world that might be seeing more of a shortage than even we are because of uh, other challenges, including a war uh, with Ukraine and Russia. So farmers are stepping up, as they always do, and uh, I really don't think there's anything to be concerned about as far as not having the food that we need. We're going to see higher prices. Uh, There are going to be some things we just simply won't find, but we will have enough food to go around. You know, we talk about uh, Ukraine and Russia and the war out in Europe. Uh, How is that affecting Ohio farmers, and who are we supplying, and who can we supply to make up any shortfalls that are developing out of that part of the world? I think the biggest challenge from Ukraine that we're seeing in agriculture is the energy side and and fertilizer. Um, The fertilizer is, um, you know, made very heavily in Russia and Ukraine. And natural gas, which is a product that makes fertilizer, also comes from that part of the world. So we saw uh, earlier this year and late last year, fertilizer prices compared to a year ago up to three to four hundred percent higher. Wow. And that is, you know, if, if our food were three to four hundred percent higher, uh, you know, we, we would be, uh, you know, asking everyone what's going on and, and uh, there would be riots in the streets. But uh, farmers, uh, again, they continue to do what they do. They they uh, made it work with their bottom line. And, and uh, not only are fertilizer prices higher, 
Um, but because of what's happening in Ukraine, uh, a lot of other products uh, are, are higher. And then you add inflation into that, and you talk about seed costs. It takes seed to, to plant in the ground to grow the crops. It's higher. Uh, the equipment to plant uh, and, and all those tractors, uh, the, that's higher. Uh, labor, of course, for all of us is, is higher. Energy. I mentioned natural gas, but then you think about diesel fuel. If you imagine a medium-sized tractor on a farm running and planting as they are today, uh, it's going to cost about $800 a day in diesel fuel. $800 a day to run that equipment, where a year ago, that was only about $250 to $300 a day. So you think about the input cost that it takes for farmers to, to grow uh, the food that uh, we need in order to survive as a country and now as a world. And Ukraine has put heavy pressure um, on on uh, American farmers, and not just for the input cost, but also what farmers may have to do to make up the difference for what, what Ukrainian agriculture can't do. Uh, Ukraine is the top 10 producer when it comes to corn, when it comes to wheat, when it comes to barley. Uh, and a lot of those products are going to be sitting out in the field and rotting because you can't, Ukrainian farmers don't feel comfortable going out into the fields and getting that product out. And so now... Who's going to make up that difference? I mean, that, that's a huge, huge uh, part of Ukraine agriculture, our products we can grow here in the U.S. So just like the world looks to the U.S. for other things that, that they need, they're looking to agriculture now. And uh, I think we're going to see uh, more uh, opportunity for American farmers to fill that void and those gaps for uh, countries that rely on Ukraine for their agriculture. So we're talking about um, you know, parts of uh, Egypt, Indonesia, Turkey, Pakistan, uh, Morocco also relies heavily on Ukraine. The U.K. Uh, relies on a lot of Ukrainian exports as well. Uh, China uh, on that list. So American farmers are going to step up. Uh, they're going to get the job done. And, and I think there's opportunity I, there. I, uh, I, I know. I know we will. Well, well, Ty Higgins, thank you so very much. And talking about agriculture sooner or later. These agricultural issues come to our kitchens, come to our homes, and we don't really miss it until there's a problem. So, Ty, thank you so very much, and we'll be watching what's going on with agriculture in here in Ohio. We'll have you back on again to give us an update as this Ukrainian war permits. Yes, thank you so much. Great to hear from you, Ty. Great to hear all the info. Ty Higgins from the Ohio Farm Bureau, thank you very much. We're going to take a short break. Uh, You're listening to Nick Phillips with Kathy Lux here tonight at WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, tonight, in the next two segments, we're going to be talking to Chris Phillips, and we're going to be talking about what's going on with not only COVID, but healthcare generally. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us, as always. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And can you tell us, uh, again, to remind some of our listeners who haven't heard from you before, tell us a little bit about your background, who you work for, and, and why we're talking to you today. Absolutely. I'm a healthcare executive. I've uh, been so for about uh, 20 years. And uh, it's been a real pleasure joining you on the show to really talk about what's actually going on to the front line. I'm National Director of Clinical Operations for Previa Health out of Arlington, Virginia, the D.C. area. Uh, we have over 3,000 uh, providers 
and represent over 3 million patients. Um, I run a high-risk uh, nurse line that's 24-7. I have about 20 nurses who work around the clock. We take about at least uh, 3,000 calls a month. So even though I'm not an epidemiologist, <laughs> I've been kind of giving you the front lines of what's going on day-to-day from actual callers of all ages. So, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to update your listeners. Well, we've been talking for the last two years plus about COVID because that's been dominating the public health scene. Uh, and you're at the front lines with 3 million people and monitoring uh, all of their activity, especially you know, what's hot and what's not with regard to them on a daily basis. From the front lines of COVID, uh, is COVID over or, or where are we? It seems to keep echoing back and forth. Yes, it's definitely evolving. And um, we are getting on top of this uh, from the perspective of still not in a place where there's very high hospitalizations and deaths. Thank goodness. It's almost a little bit more of a nuisance. But um, unfortunately, uh, we are seeing some some upticks throughout the country. Our line is definitely seeing upticks out on the East Coast, Northeast Coast, the greater D.C. area. Um, I just read an article uh, yesterday quoting the New York Times, that uh, as this spike is kind of rolling through, uh, there's an increase of 58% of COVID cases over the last 14 days. And there's also some uptick of about 20% in nationwide hospitalization. Now, what's interesting about this is as our communities have evolved in their, in their group epidemiological understanding. I mean, we're all epidemiologists now, right? To some degree. Um, right, right. The CDC actually believes this is grossly underreported, maybe by up to ninefold, because a lot of people are over it. You know, they're getting, they're getting the symptoms and they're just not checking. They're just moving on with life. Maybe they're vaccinated and boosted um, or they're taking rapid tests. And, and quite honestly, you know, who, if you take a rapid and you get positive, you know, who very few people really take the time to report into their local health department that they had a home rapid test. So not only do we know uh, we're up quite a few cases national, national, nationwide, we also believe this is vastly underreported. So it's probably much higher than that. But um, so you, you definitely need to kind of brace yourself. We've, we've seen this run usually from Europe over to the U.S., often landing in the northeast coast, um, then traveling throughout the rest of the state throughout the next couple of months. And I think we can see that. We, we should prudently be prepared for that as good citizens of Cleveland. Is there some uh, understandable layman's interpretation as to why do we keep having these cycles, these reoccurring spikes of COVID? What, what, what's happening here? Yes, I could tell you from frontline experience, and this has really intrigued me, and I've seen this. Um, from the very beginning, um, our epidemiologists have told us they believe COVID has about a 90-day, I'm sorry, about a 10-day acute run cycle. You're sick for about 10 days acutely, usually. And then you somewhat have a really good natural antibody boost for about 90 days. And I think that's why you see in the criteria over and over again, whether it's CDC um, or whether it's for school or work, they ask you, have you had COVID in the last 90 days? Because it seems like you get a really good 
uh, natural antibody boost from just having it, usually particularly for the variant that's popular at this time. Uh, the this new the popular BA, variant. The BA2 or, yeah, go ahead. What's the popular yes, variant? Yes, I was just going to, yes, that's, that's what's in vogue. Right now is the BA.2 is in vogue. And, um, and I've really seen that. I've not, I have personally not seen people get reinfected uh, in less than 90 days. So that's the good news. I know that's kind of in the news that there's been some breakthrough. But, um, we, you know, we're almost ready to staff on a 90-day cycle at this point. Oh, well, with regard to the 90-day cycle, uh, you're talking about natural immunity from people who actually have the infection. What about the vaccines? Are they getting more than 90 days uh, benefit out of the vaccinations? Because we've had two rounds of the same Moderna or Pfizer, and then we've had two boosters. So that's four shots, four vaccine inoculations over the last two years. And do we get more than uh, 90 days out of those? Or what is that turning out to be? Yeah, it still seems like you get that 90-day um, grace period after having COVID. And up until now, uh, I'll just be very honest with you. Up until now, the vaccines were holding very, very well. Um, but now with BA.2, um, we're just we're pretty much seeing it cross every line. We're seeing it cross um, vaccinated, unvaccinated, boosted, fully vaxxed. <laughs> Um, so that BA2 is kind of crossing all lines. It's crossing all ages, uh, peds to adults, older adults. The good news is I've not seen it in any infant. So we've had a, a number of brand new moms calling in concerned because their toddlers, elementary, um, children have COVID. They got low, the, the elementary kids have low grade fevers and it's just, I, I'm just not seeing it in the infant. So thank goodness it's saving them, sparing them. Um, but it, I mean, at this point, there's still tremendous hope and belief that being vaccinated and boosted will greatly decrease your risk of going into the hospital or dying. Um, but practically BA2 is crossing all lines. So keep vigilant. Well, just being out in the public, right now it seems like the public attitude is that uh, COVID is over. Uh, we, we go around to different uh, community events, going out to shopping centers and so on. Uh, we don't see any masks anymore. For the most part, 99% of the masking is over. Uh, and people seem to be enjoying the early, late spring that's going on and, and perhaps going into summer. Uh, are are the people that actually pulling themselves, is it really still dangerous out there? And I have a lot of follow-up questions with regard to, to COVID and getting the, the BA2 uh, with that. And I know I'm, I'm layering a lot of questions here, but how serious is it? Uh, do we still have the residual uh, possibilities of uh, having a bad reaction to COVID and having problems with uh, lingering symptoms? That was a lot. It's it's hard. Yeah, it's early to tell in this phase. Uh, BA2 seems to be very contagious, but not still not as severe as Delta. So that's the good news. It seems like a, a, a bad cold with some body aches. So that's the good news. Um, it's hard to tell exactly how this will hit Ohio. I'm looking at the stats right now, and the big hitters were Hawaii, Maine, and Montana had an increase in hospitalizations around 60%. So, so that's hitting them hard, okay? 
We go down to Ohio. Ohio is down near the bottom of the list. Currently, we've only had about a 22% bump in hospitalizations, which only equals 734 more cases across the state. So, you know, thank goodness we're near the bottom of the list of acuity right now. That's good. Um, I think the other saving grace we have now is being in early summer, late spring, a lot of outdoor activities. And I think I think we all tend to just um, migrate to activities outdoor activities anymore. And that really, really is helpful. Um, our medical director is trying to direct schools towards healthy field trips here at the end of the year. That just really emphasize, do your field trips outside as much as possible. Um, so it's hard to tell how Ohio is going to get hit. But um, I, I think another thing about Ohioans, we're really, we love to be outside, right, in the spring and summer. We've been cooped up all winter. We're not like Floridians, maybe, or Californians who are in the heat all the time. So we really love to be outside. So I think that's going to be a saving grace for us. And I want to encourage your, your listeners to keep doing that. If there's a prerogative to have an event, be in an event outdoors, you know, definitely choose that. Let's hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to Chris Phillips talking about covid and where are we here in the spring of 2022, where uh, they can say it's back, and it sure is. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back up to these words. Actually, we make Phillips with you for the final segment of the Advocate tonight. We have Chris Phillips with us uh, talking about the current spread and respread of COVID 19 and the BA2 variant and how that's working. And uh, we're coming into spring, late spring, and getting into summer shortly. And uh, Chris was saying it's great to be outdoors. Um, are, are there any other precautions we should be taking besides getting outdoors whenever we can? Absolutely. Um, think about, and, and I've been very fortunate to, um, you know, really help navigate um, schools and high-profile workplaces across the country safely through COVID. Uh, so the first one is, when there's the prerogative to work from home um, or not be in crowded indoor places without a mask, go ahead, go ahead and, and take that prerogative, you know? Um, don't don't push the limits right now of being closely indoors um, with a lot of strangers and um, big populations because we are, you know, we are having an uptick um, in the country in some areas. That's number one. Number two, do keep a good N95 mask handy. Keep it in the car, you know, in your your purse, knapsack, whatever, and be a mask nerd if you feel like you are going into a high risk place. Um, I'm still all about wearing it when you fly when you travel in international airports. Um, I don't mind being a mask nerd wearing one that fits well. And then finally, this is really, really important. I, this has been my crusade, and almost every day it becomes more and more important. Select and get very connected to a good primary care doctor. If you have some chronic conditions, make it an internal medicine family physician. If you have kids, get very close to your pediatrician. It is so hard 
to continue to navigate your personal health and vaccine journey alone or through trying to use urgent cares, pop-up test sites, or random virtual doc platforms that a lot of the health insurers use. So I just cannot emphasize whatever age you are, no matter how invincible you feel, take your time, pick a really good doctor, someone you agree with scientifically, ethically, uh, somebody who has a great platform. You know, not all doctors are the same. Some have great apps, virtual visits. Some of them have walk-in clinics within their practice. So if you get sick and you really need tested and treated, you can, you know, you can just walk in and, and be part of that flow. Finally, with this, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, hoorah about Paxlovid, Pfizer's Paxlovid um, scripted um, pill that you can take like Tamiflu if you do get COVID. And I know the Biden administration has talked a lot about test and treat locations. Um, it's not quite there yet. Uh, once again, this is becoming normalized like Tamiflu is for flu, but you're still going to need a prescription. You're still going to need to be able to get it within five days. And you're, if you go through a, another surge um, and you're trying to use just urgent care or teledocs, it's going to be very frustrating for you. But if you have a well, very good relationship. I have, well, with, I, have, I have a question. Uh, is this something that we should all buy and have in our medicine chest in advance, just uh, prophylactically? Oh, you're not able to because it's prescription only. Yeah. So we can't get a so, yeah. prescription in advance? No, no, because you, you have to have, you have to be able to tell your, your physician you either just took a positive rapid test or you just got a PCR test on COVID. So you're not able just to say you think you have it and get a prescription. Um, that's a great clarification, by the way, because I think Tamiflu sometimes works that way. But this one, you're going to need to be able to tell your primary care physician you just took a positive COVID test and you need it. And then you're going to have a five-day window to get it prescribed and started or you lose that window. How are the supplies of Paxlovid? Uh, is there plenty to go around or is it is it scarce and hard to find? It's It's been increasing. So, um, you know, it's it's really only for us on our line, it's only been the last honestly, seven days that it's been somewhat readily available. Um, uh, a week ago and before that, it was very hard to get a hold of. And a lot of pharmacists were really pushing back on our prescriptions. Um, either they were out of it or they were saying they're, they're concerned this patient's not high risk enough, they need to save it. So it's just now coming into mainstream. And um, so I think as we prepare for fall, I think there's good reason to believe Paxlovid will be readily available like Tamiflu is for influenza, number one. Number two, I think there's good reason to believe it will help. It will shorten um, your, your round of COVID. It may also help you to get a negative COVID rapid test sooner. You may be able to get a rapid test, a negative test after taking Paxlovid within five or six days. So it's definitely worth it looking ahead to the fall and getting a really good primary care relationship going. Get your annual wellness visit so you're ready for that. I think you mentioned one time sort of have your action plan all in, in order. You know, switching gears a little bit, you know, we, we really want to act like we've been normalized and returned to where we were in 2019. 
Uh, how are you guys advising employers and schools to deal with the, the current state of COVID? And um, I, I don't think we have mask mandates anymore. So how, how are you advising people to control the spread of BA2? That's a great question, and, and we've been very successful at this, and I'll tell you my secret. <laughs> and, and that has been as employers and in employees. I tell employers, please have a very generous, hybrid working environment. You know, I, I think there was a little bit I, – I'll tell you, I worked with some big employers that right before COVID, they literally built brand-new multi-million-dollar buildings. And then COVID hit and we went through all of, you know, we went through Delta and the deaths and all of that kind of stuff. It was a hard pill for them to swallow to really liberate employees to work remotely more after building these big, beautiful buildings. But as we've tried to bring employees back to work in masses and seen outbreaks rolling through, um, you know, the best strategy I can say, two things, provide a, just a generous hybrid environment. Let those who have to be on location save the workplace for them. Those who actually have to be there to press buttons and turn dials and that kind of stuff, save it for them. Save your your work environment for those who feel like they have to be there. Maybe they have a bunch of kids at home or they live with extended family and they can't concentrate at home. And then let those who want to work from home and who can generously do that. It's only helping you. It's giving you more space and less risk as an employer to do so. And, um, and you know, I'll tell you, we have a very high acuity, high tech platform. I cannot tell you how high acuity, high tech it is. And we too, we have brilliant nurses who are moms and dads with little kids and dogs at home covering our line 24-7. They're doing a phenomenal job. Um, we are ranked one of the top performing physician groups in the country. And it's, it's with, you know, people working from home on it. Now there's the data secure. They're in their private offices and all of that. Um, but if we can do it, I think anyone can do it. Well, very, well, very good. Well, you have about a minute and a half here, but with that, uh, do you have any final, uh, healthcare gems going into the summer? Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm still very, very positive about where we're at. Um, I, I think this has really helped everybody to the, to the most, to, to an extent, become more conscious, conscious of their health, others' health, of their convictions about wellness, vaccines. Um, and it's really drawn them closer to primary care because you're really not going to be able to do this just through an occasional urgent care visit. And it's also helped primary care providers like us really up our tech technological um, abilities to really constantly be in touch with our patients, both physically, uh, mentally. We have a behavioral health platform that is um, through an app and through virtual visits. So I, I think we've, we've all got to take advantage of this great technology and great common sense and, and just do it together. Well, I tell you, it's been quite a trauma this last two and a half years, but we made it. Uh, for those of us who are still here, yeah. we made it. And uh, yeah. there's a lot more known, and we hope to get through the rest of this and start enjoying life. Well, and anyway, yeah. Chris, thank you so much, yeah. as always, for joining us. And keep us all safe out there. Thank you. Anytime, Nick. Bye-bye. Take care.
And thank you for listening tonight. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, healthy, and safe week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.